Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. If you love true crime podcasts, Podcast One is the perfect destination. We have two awesome true crime podcasts trending right now, and you have to check them out. First up, based on the iconic series on A&E, Cold Case Files explores some of the most difficult-to-solve murders, which stymied investigators and went cold, sometimes for decades. Next up, Copycat Killers is the latest podcast from Reels and Podcast One. Every episode takes you behind the scenes of real-life murder cases which copy memorable slang seen in Hollywood movies. Check out both Cold Case Files and Copycat Killers. They're going to be your next favorite true crime podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and many of your favorite podcast listening apps. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Wu, your host, and so happy to have you with us this week. My guest is Ben Golliver of the Washington Post and the new Greatest of All Talk basketball podcast, and we go through a variety of different things. We talk about the top end of the playoff picture, buyers and sellers, and also his new podcast endeavor. So a lot of a lot of great stuff here. This episode is brought to you by a new sponsor, Manscaped. You can go to manscaped.com and use the Real GM promo code for 20% off plus free shipping. And our friends at betonline.ag use the podcast one promo code for a 50% sign up bonus. This episode runs a little bit less than an hour. Lots of great stuff in here. I hope you really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure, Danny. As always, great to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I, I've been kind of getting getting back in the swing of things with the league, and something I've been thinking about and I wanted to run by you is the unusual structure that we're seeing so far in the league this year. Um, so right now, both both conferences, and we still have separate conferences for playoffs and all that, are really a top six and then everyone else. I mean, OKC is establishing themselves a little bit. We could talk about that. But what I was thinking about with that premise is right now in both conferences, other than the Bucks in the, in the East, a lot of the teams are pretty narrowly bunched. And, you know, as much as we've seen in recent years that seeding isn't necessarily as important, you know, we can get into these dog days part of the year where, you know, there are injuries and playing a lot of games and everything else like that. But individual, you know, we, we try not to think about an individual game in January meaning that much, but rem- I, I was thinking about how these these seeding things that could be really important might end up being solved by a game or two at the end of the oh, day. There's no doubt. I think the conferences are really interesting mirrors of each other right now, Danny, because you have the teams that are kind of out in front with a good uh, cushion, the one seeds with Milwaukee and the Lakers, 
Then you've got crazy compact two through five races in both conferences where the difference there might only wind up being a game or two like you're describing, but that's the difference between having home court in the first two rounds versus starting out the first round on the road. That's a huge competitive uh, difference. And then you look you know, down to, towards the bottom of the playoff bracket and you get to the seven and eight seeds. And I mean, those teams are you know, going to get absolutely smoked and, and likely swept, I would guess, in their first round playoff series. And, and in both cases, you know, the eight seed is a, a pretty low bar at this point, especially compared to some previous years. And certainly that's really the case in the Western Conference where there just hasn't been uh, you know, a strong eight seed to emerge yet. So uh, there's similar dynamics going on both ways. I mean, all of that stuff is fascinating to me, whether it's the one seeds running ahead, whether it's how do you handicap that second tier uh, of teams um, or, you know, the, the bottom falling out of the playoff picture. I mean, to me, they're all interesting developments. Right. And the one for me that I've been I've been fixated on the last couple of days and it was appropriate given the uh, the Sixers Celtics game yesterday that. There is such a gigantic difference between the two seed and then the three, four, five in particular. The six, the six, depending on who gets the three, is is big too. But two versus three, four, five. Because if you're the three, then you're facing another really good team. You're facing the the six in the first round. You're facing one of those top six. And then four, five is just brutal because whoever gets there, not only do you have a tough first round series, but then you're facing the number one in the second round, and that is just just nasty. And so I think that's going to be motivation for teams to, teams to keep trying. But we also might potentially see teams if if depending on how this stratification happens, do that do that nefarious in season tanking <laughs> to try to get the six because to me the six is significantly better than the four or five. So because you just want to avoid the one CD you know, in the second round uh, hypothetical matchup. I hear you. I think there's going to be a lot of really interesting jockeying, too, because it could make a huge difference even from the TV ratings perspective. Right. Like imagine if uh, the Clippers wound up as the four seed. Right. So that dream Lakers Clippers series that I'm sure the NBA executives are kind of salivating over as the Western Conference finals winds up taking place in the second round. Right. I mean, that's such a buzzkill. And I think from an, uh, you know, an interest perspective and a playoff perspective, uh, that is not uh, you know, what anybody would want uh, to have that one get out of the way early because then it could set up a potential like Lakers Jazz or, or Lakers Nuggets Western Conference Finals, which I think from the league's perspective would have less buzz and, and less juice to it, right? And I also think you know, when you're any of the teams in the, in the second tier of the, the East, versus Embiid, Milwaukee versus Philly stylistic showdown, uh, you know, the, the two teams that most people thought coming into the year were going to be the conference finalist teams, that series winds up being a second round series. And you've got two teams where they're both, to me, under extraordinary amounts of pressure. Either one of them goes home in the second round to the other one. You know, it's going to be talk about, oh, do the coach uh, need to be fired? Do they have to break up the core? What does this mean for long-term free agency for Giannis? And all those kinds of crazy questions. I just think that, you know, having that series earlier could almost have a distorting effect for either one of those franchises. So, you know, it's really fascinating to handicap. And I'll be honest, I don't really have a good feel for who I think is going to get the two seed in either conference. You know, Tim Bontemps at ESPN had a really nice breakdown of the different factors at stake in the Eastern Conference. And it was really long. I mean, he went through everything. And you could say the same thing for the Western Conference, too. I could easily talk myself into the Clippers being the two seed based on uh, how they've managed the schedule so far and having kind of the, the most 
top end talent to be able to kind of close strong if they want to. I could talk myself into the Nuggets because Jokic has really come on strong here. I could definitely talk myself into the Jazz. They might be the hottest team in the league right now. The one team I have some reservations about would be the Rockets. I've just not been impressed at all with uh, you know their season to date, and I'm not sure that Gordon's going to necessarily boost them up as much as they would hope. Uh, but you know that's a lot of candidates for that two seed, and you know it it could come down to injuries. It could come down to strength of schedule down the stretch, the head-to-head matchups that you're describing. I mean, there's so many different uh, variables to kind of untangle. Right, and in certain circumstances, especially this far out, it's not just strength of schedule, it's timing of schedule. So playing a non-playoff team in the last two weeks of the year, maybe the last month depending on circumstance, is a lot more advantageous than playing them right now because some of those teams are going to sit or trade better players between now and then. And there's a lot going on there. I mean, and and a good example for me of the competing pressures is Miami. I mean, Miami, 27 and 10. They have the second best record in the Eastern Conference right now. I think there's some real luck in their profile. I mean, they've had this extraordinary opponent shooting luck. The teams just are missing threes against them. And mostly the, the general concept is that teams can do more to control the volume of threes rather than whether they go in or not. And I mean, that's kind of where where the understanding is right now. And you have all that, but then Miami, based on opponent winning percentage, has the second easiest schedule the remainder of the season. So does that end up being a larger factor? Maybe the defense gets a little bit worse, but if you're playing inferior teams, then that works out. Philly plays a pretty soft schedule the rest of the year, but they're also missing Joel Abid right now for a couple weeks with the, the ligament issue. And unfortunately, we know injuries are going to be a big factor in this. But I think that there is there there's a lot of on court intrigue and and also something that I enjoy about it when you have this group of teams let's say five in the East for now and probably six in the West is that when you have that many teams they play a lot of games against each other so it's not just circle oh okay the top two they're playing each other twice more the rest of the year so we're going to really keep it on it there are going to be games you know a few a week of these teams facing off and then also of course the top of the East and top of the West going at it as well well i think this is a kind of a byproduct of not having quite uh you know such a strict focus this season on like oh there's one super team and everybody else is you know kind of sucks right which i think was a prevailing story over these last couple of uh years just because of golden state's strength right i think this is normally how it is right isn't this a more normal and representative season that we would expect over the course of like the last 20 years where you do have kind of night-to-night playoff previews or potential playoff previews between these teams. Can I spin this a little bit differently, though, for you, Danny? I'm curious. I think coming into this season, most people, I think the consensus penciling in for the conference finals was Milwaukee, Philly, and then L.A. versus L.A. Um, Now that we're describing how things are starting to shake out a little bit or not shake out, are those the series that you would prefer to see? Like if you could pencil in your, your, uh, your dream conference finals, would you still want those? Or has somebody like Miami or maybe even Dallas or Denver, Utah, has anybody kind of crashed that party from what you would want to see? I would say that my my preferred conference finals have not changed, but the second round to me has gotten significantly more interesting. My idea before the year was that the, the Lakers and Clippers, and some of this might still be true just because of how their teams are structured, that... Even though I, I I actually predicted that the Lakers and Clippers would not have the two best records in the West, but they would just go through whoever was put in front of them. You know, uh, the Nuggets and Rockets are good examples for me of teams that some of their structural elements will not be as good against, especially what those two teams have on the wing. And I would say that the course of this season, particularly in the East, has made me 
a far bigger believer in some of the other teams. Boston has really exceeded my expectations. Toronto has exceeded my expectations. I went under their over-under, and I look like an idiot. Miami has been a lot better than I expected, and remember that they, you know, if they can get a little bit healthier, if they can get all the, you know, kind of get this, get some pieces together, like remember how unhealthy they started the season, I think there's even more room for them to grow. And then the most extreme with that is Indiana. I mean, Indiana being 23 and 15, when not only has Victor Oladipo missed the entire season, but Malcolm Brogdon's missed a bunch of time too. That's really impressive. Lots more to talk about with Ben Golliver, but support for Real GM Radio comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. It is 2020. We are in January. This is a great time for New Year's resolutions. A lot of people make resolutions, including me, to try to take better care of themselves. And one great way that you can do that is through Manscaped. They're making it easy with their grooming projects. One of those that is particularly effective is the redesigned electric trimmer. They call it the Lawnmower 2.0, and it has proprietary skin-safe technology, so the trimmer will not nick or snag you in sensitive areas. That is very, very important for peace of mind, and peace of mind, as you all know, is very important there. But it's not just the trimmer. They have a crop preserver, which is a ball deodorant and moisturizer. And for all these products, it makes sense to use something different than what you use for the rest of your body and not, especially not using the same trimmer. That is pretty gross. And how you check it out, you go to manscaped.com and you use the real GM promo code and you get 20% off and free shipping. So you get a big benefit. Also, of course, you tell them that you came from us. And What I really like about Manscaped's promo code is that it's not for a specific thing. They have a lot of great products you can try out. They also have shaving mats. They have crop cleanser and reviver. And if you want to get things more collective, you can get the Perfect Package 2.0 or Nuts and Bolts 2.0. But whatever you get, if you use that promo code, the real GM promo code, you get 20% off plus free shipping. Tells them you came from us. So take a look. Find something that speaks to you, a way that you can better take care of yourself, and also support Real GM Radio in the process. Start the new year off the right way using the best tools for the job, manscaped.com, Real GM promo code. What I'm going to spend a part of, it might have to wait a, a couple weeks or months to figure out is, are teams like the Raptors and the Pacers, are they good stories or do they shift the paradigm? You know, is that are they really teams that can threaten the Sixers and the Bucks, or are they more maybe like Denver last year, where Denver was a very good team, an amazing story. I'm so happy for them, and and happy that overall this year. I mean, they're 26 and 11, and they're in the they're in the mix for sure in the West. But I never really thought of them as a team that could win a conference finals, and they ended up losing in the second round to the team that lost in the conference finals. So I think that was a fair assessment. And I'm not sure yet. I, I feel better about some of those teams, but I don't think I feel. Like they're necessarily like full on threats yet. Do you do you agree with that or not? Yeah. Well, the way I look at it is this. Uh, first of all, I think there are some looming threats of these teams that you're describing. Right. None of them are really overwhelming to me. However, two teams that we always circle every year heading into the playoffs as being like major headlining playoff teams. You know, everyone's going to watch their games, pay very uh, careful attention, dissect their superstars, and all that would be Philadelphia and Houston. And I think both those teams are really vulnerable to potential upsets, right? Like I just see meltdown potential both ways. I could also see Philadelphia making the finals. I can't see Houston going that far. Um, But, you know, that's also a team I could see, you know, getting into the Western Conference finals if the matchups broke, right? But I also think whoever they're going to be facing in a first round series should go into that, uh, you know, that matchup 
with total confidence, right? That there's going to be an opportunity to win that their opponents might, you know, beat themselves that, you know, Embiid might not be able to be consistently healthy, uh, that, you know, Westbrook will shoot the Rockets out of a series. I mean, there's just a lot of variability there, right? So to me, it's not that I'm so sold on Toronto uh, or that I completely buy into Boston's, you know, new model already or anything like that. It's just that I'm ready to kind of sell, you know, somewhat hard on Houston and Philly. And, you know, to me, that just adds another element of intrigue here. The variance of the 76ers is crazy. I mean, you can even go back to Christmas and then right after. So Christmas Day. Well, Houston too, right? I mean, Hardy can score 60 and three quarters and then, you know, they get blown off the court uh, by, you know, very poor teams and teams that they should be beating, uh, you know, uh, well, or, practically or the next night. Or not only that, but like, granted, the Hawks have looked more like themselves since they got John Collins back. But I mean, the Rockets won that game, but the Hawks were in it until the end. And the Hawks right now are eight and 30. And the Rockets are one of the best teams in the league. So yeah, you get that. But for me, the Sixers are are there more because I believe far more in Philadelphia's ceiling than I do in Houston's. What happened with the Rockets was, for me, was this idea that trading for Russell Westbrook created a rosy ceiling where if it all works, they become harder to defend, like defend, and maybe he could key this transitional bit, which I think to an extent Russell Westbrook has done. But there was, for me, there was always this idea that it was unlikely but possible. And I will, at least for now, I think that's a lot less likely than when the season started because it hasn't really worked as well as as it it could have, not that I expected it to. But with the Sixers, their defense can be just as stifling as I thought it was going to be. And I, I have concerns about their offense. I have a bunch of concerns about their offense. But... That's why they have that's why to me they're the kings of variance because it it and you brought up the the meltdown idea and and you know I try to focus on the court but also we've seen it from members of the 76ers team when they've gotten flummoxed it really has taken them out I mean going back to that Celtics series a couple of years ago where they just completely lost this lost the rope and I could imagine that happening. However, I mean, something to remember with the Sixers, and Seth Partnow wrote a really nice piece about this a few months ago, or like a month ago, is thinking about how well good teams play against great teams. You know, like, and the Sixers have had a lot of those really high-profile performances, including on Thursday when they beat the Celtics without Joel Embiid. And so... I, God, I don't know what to think of that team. <laughs> I know. That's why they're so fun. They're really hard to handicap. I mean, either, you know, Jekyll and Hyde, whatever you want to call it. I agree with you. Their ceiling is super high. I'm not sure that I could see them beating one of the LA teams in the finals, but I could definitely picture them on that stage. At the same time, I could also picture a first round tough series against a team that comes in with nothing to lose against them, where Simmons and Embiid can't get it right. And Horford is, you know, not fitting with Embiid on offense, and it's, they're just not hitting their three pointers. You know, Cork Moss isn't coming in off the bench to go crazy like he did on Christmas, and all of a sudden everything unravels, and Brett Brown's looking stressed out, and Elton Brand's looking like he can't believe it. That's a very easy mental picture to have, and to me, it's the same deal with Houston. Like their ceiling is definitely not as high. Like I, like I said, I don't see them as a, a finals team. But if you told me they lost in five games in the first round, that would not shock me. And this is a team who has a, a legit MVP candidate whose offense has been proven to work for the last five years, um, who has, you know, done a, a nice job in, you know, past playoffs of beating some really good teams in the early rounds. They don't really get credit for it. They've knocked off some tough 
talented jazz teams and uh, other opponents as well, always to be foiled by Golden State. Uh, And yet I look at this Westbrook experience for them as like the ultimate uh, injection of variance and and look no further than their Thursday night game where, you know, he goes out there, plays with good energy, has 34 points, but the whole rest of the thing is falling apart. The role players are looking around. There's more on-court bickering. It doesn't seem like the scoring balance is quite right. You know, if if both Westbrook and Harden are going to be these high volume, uh, you know, field goal attempt guys, that leaves everybody else basically standing and watching. And I I sense some, uh, you know, not disgust, but uh, maybe some, uh, you know, waning patience from their role players in some of these situations. So uh, to me, that's a that's one to watch for sure. You know, this Houston uh, season, it was kind of an experiment all the way around, you know, by, by taking on that Westbrook factor. And to me, it's not working. You know, I'm not going to say it's going to fail for sure, but it doesn't look good. We've just we, the two. I want to can I connect the two threads that we've talked the most about so far is that the, the the last two teams, the Rockets and the Sixers, and then the importance of getting a top two seed. So the because then you face the seven or eight, and then presumably potentially you get an easier second round matchup depending on how things work out. Would you think that the intuitively that the Sixers and Rockets are the teams in each conference that should most be gunning for a top two that should most want one because of their variance? Yeah, or they're the teams that need to tank, you know, into that six seed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you were describing. Like earlier. their I mean, ma- their matchup is most important. Like, right. it, it's it's interesting. I mean, another team like that. I just wrote. A, I, I I alluded to this in a piece that I wrote about the Nuggets. Is they have a, a big picture thing, and you could argue the Rockets are in this case too. But I think it's more unclear with the Nuggets, which is remember that there's a group of teams that have the capacity. Let's call it to spend more money than they do, but they have owners who are unwilling either at this moment or for the foreseeable future to spend into the luxury tax. So an example of that is Denver and Houston both have basically their full mid-level exception available close to it. Consar got part of it from the Nuggets, and then the Rockets, I think, technically used part of it on one of their their signings. But they're not doing it because ownership doesn't want to pay the tax. And for this year, that's pretty much a fait accompli, which is what it is. But remember that these things change over time. And so maybe going to the conference finals changes that for the Cronkies or changes that for Tillman Fertitta or changes that for, you know, the Bucks. I mean, remember, uh, the biggest reason that the Bucks didn't pay, there, there are kind of two big threads of the Malcolm Brogdon part for the Bucks. One is the money part that they would have had to pay him. And the other part is maybe they were uncomfortable with the injury risk. And he has missed a bunch of time for the, for the Pacers this year. So we'll see that. And so I'm very interested I mean, I'm sure the Giannis thing gets headlines, and it should because he's the best player in the league and he's so young, and, and his decision, whatever it ends up being, shapes the league landscape for the next decade. We talked about the last time you and I came on, we were kind of talking about player of the decade. Um, but ownership's willingness to spend is this underrated huge factor in a d- number of different teams, and you could easily see it affect how how the, the things turn out this year, even as crazy. Remember last year with the, the how the seating turned out in the Western Conference totally changed teams' willingness to spend. Well, I think Denver one's really interesting there because, you know, of course they've always had that label. And I think, you know, a lot of times rightfully so. And they're in an interesting situation philosophically to me where I'm really curious. I wish I could be a, a fly on the wall. Do they believe they can win the title this year, right? Because you look at their regular season record, their current seating, their strong play at home, the fact that they have an all-NBA first-team caliber uh, building block with Jokic, Uh, You know, the fact that uh, they had got some playoff reps last year, they've got incredible continuity, their guys, you know, 
uh, have formed really functional lineups and they're pretty deep. And you could say there are some uh, factors there when you add all that up that say, yes, they would think they are. On the flip side, you could say, well, they only have one superstar. So that's a red flag. You would also say that um, they've never you know, made it to the conference finals with this group. So that's another potential stumbling block. And you'd also say they don't have really big time two-way playmaking wings, which has been sort of the most important ingredient for title teams here over the last like five or six years. If you're looking at LeBron, Kawhi and Kevin Durant, right, they don't have great positional matchups for that type of player. And that's going to be a big problem in the Western Conference. Right. So how they view themselves, whether they think that they really are contenders and now that uh, is the time to go for it is crucial because they have this Paul Millsap contract. Right. And to me, he's still good for them, uh, valuable, but he's not what he was two years ago. I don't think if you're them, you want to you know, run it back with him going forward in the future. And so he's like your big lever if you do want to make uh, you know, a trade where you're taking on future salary to kind of maybe get an upgraded long-term piece at that spot uh, where you're going to do it. That requires a commitment from ownership, right? So you have to kind of sell ownership on your vision. And I guess that's where it comes back to like, if you really think you're a contender this year that you can actually do it, then the front office should be going to the owner and saying, look, this is our opportunity. We've got to trade this Millsap deal, find another guy in this spot and go for it. And I just don't know if I was in that spot, you know, if I was Tim Connolly, I don't know how I would feel about it. I, I think I might still believe my team was, uh, you know, maybe a year or two away. Worth noting that the Nuggets are still incredibly young. Like, and, and that's why the, the kind of speaks to the idea of them being a year or two away. Jokic and Jamal Murray and even even Gary Harris is, is a little bit older than that group. So I'll, I'll give you some of the ages for, for the pertinent nuggets right now. These are basketball reference ages. Jokic, 24, Murray, 22, Harris, 25, Jeremy Grant, 25, and then Barton, 29, Millsap, 34. So they really only have Millsap, and then theoretically Grant could replace him. They haven't really tried tried that as much as I'd like this year. That are well, most of their guys are pre prime, so the expectation is that age related, the passage of time will make those guys better. Now the Nuggets are not they're not asset rich, though they do have intriguing young guys. We'll see what happens with Malik Beasley in particular. He's a res- pending restricted free agent and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, the, that's a really interesting question for Connolly. And here's the way that I would phrase it, which is let's say theoretically, Kroenke, the Kroenkes gave. Connolly the ultimatum that okay we'll pay the tax but we'll only do it twice in the next five years would you cash in some of those chips now and say this is one of those two years you know as you're describing their age it's just reminding me how you know patience has gone completely out of style in the NBA right all these teams have just been like lunging their chips into the middle whether it's the Lakers the Clippers and everything else I think if I was Denver, I might try to zag where everybody else is zigging. I might feel pretty confident that I've got Jokic, who wants to be there. He's talked about being the Tim Duncan of Denver, which is you know a great uh, you know great building block. He's not going to be angling for a bigger market anytime soon. He hates talking to the media. You've got Murray, who's just coming up on his brand new you know contract. Like he's you know still super young and and has more upside. I think I might slow play it more. Uh, but at the same time, if they just let Millsap his contract go, or if they try to run him back one more time next year, I think that's a wasted opportunity. I think that's a squandered opportunity. And so I guess I circle Denver among the teams, especially towards the top of the Western Conference, as the team that could really make a splash here uh, at the deadline. Um, I, I think the Lakers and, and Clippers are going to be looking more for minor moves. Um, I think Utah kind of had its big splash over the summer with the Conley deal. Um 
and you know some of their other signings like the Bogdanovich. So and with Houston, uh, like you know, it would be something truly radical if they were going to get into the mix by the deadline in a major way. So that's kind of why almost by process of elimination, I feel like it's going to be Denver. Plenty more to talk about with Ben Golliver, but first a message from betonline.ag. The NFL playoffs are still going strong. Divisional round starts really, really soon. And also you have the college football national championship game, which is on Monday. So this is a jam-packed three days for football. And of course, basketball is still going on strong. So whatever you're looking at, if it's going to be games that you're watching anyway with with your buddies, or if it's something that you think is, you know what's going to happen, you can go to betonline.ag. If you do, use that podcast one promo code for a 50% sign-up bonus. And there's so much worth your attention. I mean, you have the NFC whittling its way down to two, the AFC, of course, as well. And then the championship games will be next weekend. And in between that, in case you needed more football, LSU Clemson on Monday feels like that game has been in the offing for such a long time, considering the the first round. I mean, it feels to me like it's it's been such a long time. Really excited about that. Those two Those two teams going at it, Joe Burrow, maybe in his last college football game. But then, of course, you're listening to this podcast, probably an NBA fan, great games on the slate just about every night. And if you think there's something that that you know, great time to, to check it out. But whatever you want to engage in could also be, of course, hockey or long-term bets, you know, who you think is going to win the championship or the, the Eastern Conference. You can do that at betonline.ag as well. Those lines are going up all the time and changing and all that, which is really fun. But use that Podcast One promo code to get you a 50% sign-up bonus and tell them, of course, that you came from us. So check out betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Something I really want to drop a pin in. Denver is a part of this, but it's it's a, a, I, this is a th- something I'm going to write about for the Athletic. Maybe in the next week, maybe two weeks. That is, and you brought up Utah, and I think they're they're the catalyst for me in this. And Dallas is another one, which is 2020 is a weird year, uh, come pending off season, because the teams that have space and this you could you talked about the idea of the kind of like the historical balance of things this is in the historical balance the teams that have cap space are not particularly good and in many cases they're not in glamorous markets so the hawks and the grizzlies and potentially the pelicans and depending on how they want to handle things with favors and a few other things like, you know and they're not nearly as, as as rich as the other couple the hornets might have some money so that part of it but what i think is really interesting and just kind of need to fat put in the back everybody should put in the back of their minds is 2021 2021 is, as of now, looks like it's going to be potentially a high-powered free agency class, some good restricted guys, but also a lot of unrestricted players, depending on who opts in and opts out and all that fun stuff. But the other just huge swing factor here is that depending on how some of these front offices handle 2020, we could see teams like the Jazz, like the Mavericks, like Toronto. Toronto is actually a little bit more extreme because they have more expiring money have the combination of significant cap space, I think all three of those teams could have max space or more, and good holdover talent. Now, that requires, for some of them, it would require some hard departures. You know, that'd probably be saying goodbye to Mike Connolly for the Jazz, who they just gave up resources for and everything else. For the uh, Mavericks, I think there there would have to be some some small moves on the margins. But think about that potential of... These teams, so Dallas, they're, they can add a max player to Porzingis and Luka. The Jazz can do it with um, with Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. And that's going to be really, really interesting. And then some of those teams, inevitably, either because they want the win-now pressure or because they just don't think it's going to be there, will will sacrifice some of that space for a sure thing. 
And that's going to be really interesting too. Yeah, going back to this idea of like patience versus impatience, I mean, Dallas is another one to circle for sure, right? Because as you're describing, the opportunity uh, to form a, a really impressive big three is there. Um, at the same time, we know Mark Cuban loves to spend money, loves to throw out big contracts. He's had some success in free agency, although not maybe with the top tier guys that people would want. But now he has, I think, arguably the best lure he's ever had with a player like Luca. I mean, just frankly, as a free agent, I would want to play with Luca. I would, you know, love to play on an offense that's that efficient. I would love to play with a big time playmaker who's, who makes his teammates better, generates lots of good shots on a night in, night out basis. I would want to play with a guy who loves the game and only cares about basketball, is just completely invested in the sport. And so it's just a different dynamic that we've seen for Dallas in the past, at least the recent past. I mean, I, I think when you know Dirk was in his prime and they're competing for titles, okay, he's a pretty good lure too, and and they're able to make some really creative moves around him. But it's been a while, you know, almost a decade since that was the case. So um, I do think you know Dallas enters this equation in an interesting way. But in terms of the patience versus impatience thing, I just worry: will Cuban be his own worst enemy here? Right? Will he start to feel like he's got such a good thing going with Luca? And, uh, and and Porzingis that he bets big and bets early and, and maybe he picks the wrong player. I don't know. I, it's just a, a concern that's been rattling around in the back of my mind. I just kind of hope that, you know, Dallas proceeds in its plan to build around Luka uh, with an appropriate level of discretion. What might be the kind of the invisible hand leading those teams, meaning Dallas and potentially Denver, to the right decision here is the presence of LeBron James. Because the assumption has to be, even though LeBron is a cyborg sent from the future to run basketball, that eventually his parts will wear down and he will become a less <laughs> less effective player. And so Dallas waiting two years, waiting three years to really put it together could time out about right. Now, we don't know what the next generation of, of stars are going to do. Giannis is the elephant in the room there. Um, and and in many ways, I would say him re-signing with the with the Bucks, if that's what happens, would embolden teams like Dallas because they might say, well, if he wants to be there by himself, more power to him. That's sort of an idea. But I could see them saying the Lakers are really good. You know, they're they're doing well this year and. Maybe two years from now, especially when the opportunity isn't as strong, maybe maybe at that point we'll just we'll, we'll get somebody, and and whoever we get then is going to be better than who we can get now, and that's going to be a huge a huge pressure point here. And the the other part, and this ties back into 2016, and to a lesser extent, you know, you could talk about the Knicks last summer, is waiting until 2021. Let's say that's what happens for some of these teams. To tie back to the keyword of today, waiting increases your variance. If it leads, there's the possibility that the right player says yes. You know, the Paul, like even if it's not the max guy, maybe it's you know like Denver getting Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap has changed things fundamentally for the Nuggets. He's been a big part of their success the last couple of years. Maybe you get a Paul Millsap, but maybe you end up doing what the Knicks did, which is nobody really wants you, and then you just kind of do filler salary and all that kind of stuff. Or even you know like Memphis, I think they had a very successful offseason, but. They got, you know, Iguodala is not playing for them. They got a first-round pick, all that kind of stuff. Like, it's positive, but it's not an immense positive. And so I wonder how Dennis Lindsay, how Donnie Nelson, how Masai Ujiri, if he's still running the Raptors, how those decision-makers feel about risk. Yeah, no, for sure. One thing I would keep in mind with the LeBron factor that you're describing, we have seen, in my eyes at least, some meaningful slippage from him this year in that in the head-to-head matchups against Giannis and Kawhi, I think he's 0 for 3. 
You know, I think he got outplayed in all three of those games so far. And that's not usually the case. Certainly that hasn't been the case in, in playoffs past where even when he's going up against prime KD, I always felt like LeBron was the best player in that series and he was operating on a different level. Now, that's not to take anything away from his season. He's an MVP candidate. The Lakers have been uh, one of the you know biggest overachieving teams in, in my eyes. Just steady, no drama. He's been you know the, the, the straw that stirs the drink. The partnership with Anthony Davis has been everything that I expected it to be and more. Uh, and everything else along those lines. But if I'm planning, uh, you know, to build a contender in the Western Conference, I am respectful of LeBron at this stage of his career, but I'm not fearful of LeBron. I'm not punting three years down the road with LeBron. I am circling next season and saying, you know what, if he's already slipping a little bit here in the in the premier matchups against the very best players, Kawhi and Giannis, then there's a pretty good chance by next year he's come back to earth a little bit and our opportunity increases. And so that's how I would view the timeline. If I was a, a GM of one of those other Western Conference powers, um, I would be you know, trying to take my chance this year, understanding that, hey, look, if, if I go into uh, a playoff series against the Lakers and I don't have a premier two-way wing, I'm probably losing that series this year. However, I'm thinking, you know, come the 2021 playoffs, I'm feeling like I've got a really good shot. That's an interesting take. And the other, and, and it's totally justified, the other angle of this, which is always so important to consider, is availability. And a good example here for me is the tactical mistake that I think Washington made by not having Bradley Beal available over the offseason, because just who is available at a given time, that affects what you can receive in a trade, what you have to give out. And so for what might end up impacting this for for Dallas and for Denver and Toronto in particular is, well, who's really on the market this summer? Is there is there that player that you can get who will be good enough to justify punting on 2021? And, and it's possible that there is. And it's it's also worth noting. Uh, so this is I, I'm I'm working on a separate piece about this that that's in the offing probably next week, of the value of expiring contracts not just for salary dumps or salary structure things, but just as a way to take on a player who could be useful for you. So there are a bunch of different scenarios where teams could just take on somebody a little bit different. Take on, you know, like the the Pelicans could trade Darius Miller's basically expiring contract. He, he signed that, the, the human trade exception, the walking trade exception is what I've called it before. And there are a couple other teams that have those circumstances. And I'm really interested, and there will be a bunch of contracts that expire in 2021, who be, who comes on the market? Who is off it? And and a good example. This is somebody like Jimmy Butler. Like, yeah, Jimmy Butler is a damn good player. But remember, he's been traded twice, not counting the signing trade. He's been traded twice within the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, another team that's in this same idea of using an expiring contract basically as a lever to try to get a future player is the Blazers. Yeah, you know they're so they're so capped out. They've got Whiteside's deal. Um, they have a lot of young players, but most of them they don't want to trade because they're you know very stereotypically like too high on their own guys, you know, it's like usual up there. Um, so that's another team where they could be deadline buyers, uh, just off the idea of like, look, we, we have no other mechanism for getting players this summer. We don't have enough support for Damien and CJ, but we also don't want to trade Damien and CJ because that partnership has worked so well together. So you just have to get, you know, some talent for those guys by any means necessary. And then that kind of backs you into using the white side contract and probably future first round picks and maybe one of the young guys to get a deal done. Portland faces a different challenge than some of the other ones just because of the the rising contracts for Lillard and McCollum that 
if they do, like, I mean, there's been talk of them trading for Kevin Love basically since Kevin Love was drafted because the Lake Oswego product. And, and he makes <laughs> he makes some sense with their roster also. And I think Terry Stott's defensive scheme would actually really help Love because if he's playing the four. I think it's the five. He just can't contest enough at the rim. But at the four, they don't really, you know, like they can do they can do different things. I think they could hide him a little better than some other teams. But remember that, you know, they'd be pretty clean for 20 slash 21, but Love is signed for another couple years. And with the passing of Paul Allen, if their current ownership group, or I don't know if you would know better than I am if they're thinking about selling or where that's going, that if they acquire Kevin Love, they would become materially better. And I think they would become the favorites for that eight seed. How much that matters to you depends. You know, I don't know how much ownership really wants that or O'Shea or whatever. But the optics, of course, would be bad of missing the playoffs after making the Western Conference Finals. But the expense of that kind of a trade would be gigantic. Like, that that's the other intriguing factor here, is how much are these teams willing to to bite that bullet? And then the other part is, how much are they, how, are teams going to be short-sighted? And I, I mean, I've talked about this with, I wrote a piece last year for the Wizards about the, like, basically the catastrophic, what ended up being the catastrophic failing of Vernon Grenfell was signing three like non-max players to significant contracts in about 12 months and so could it but they didn't face the brunt of that for another year and so could a team get into that sort of trouble as well where they say we need to push right now we have the opportunity but then oh crap now two years from now we're paying we're 15 million into the luxury tax and nobody wants any of the guys we want to trade yeah i really feel like portland's kind of stuck uh just kind of going back to them i mean look if I was ownership. I would be saying, I'm paying way too much for this team. We're not winning enough. We need to cut payroll and just figure this out. We definitely don't want to trade an expiring contract for Kevin Love. And now I'm taking on this gigantic burden for a big three of Damian Lillard, Kevin Love, and CJ McCollum, which probably isn't good enough to win a title, right? So why am I spending all that money? That would be my position if I was the ownership. Now, I think their public you know, posturing has been that they have full support of Jody Allen, you know, Paul Allen's sister, and she's given them every resource and she's willing to pay the luxury tax and everything else. And I, like you're saying, you know, there's probably going to be some sentiment that says, well, try to salvage the season and make the playoffs, you know, if you can, at possible. And there's also going to be the sentiment that says, like, Lillard's not getting any younger. He's in his prime. You've got to do whatever it takes to you know, make the most of those years because there might only be, you know, four more of them at a, you know, all NBA, you know, first or second team type level. Right. So there's a lot of dynamics, um, you know, going on there. I guess I don't see a, a magic potion move for them that gets them back into that conference finals conversation. I think the uh, the league kind of moved on from them uh, pretty quickly, unfortunately. And so that's why I would default to like, look, it might be better to just get to a more flexible salary cap position, punt this season away you know, sell everybody some commemorative DVDs of last year's Western Conference Finals run to try to distract everybody from the from the dismal nature of this year and, you know, play up the injuries excuse and, and kind of keep it moving that way. Of course, that's not what fans want to hear. But to me, that's the most logical way to do it. Um, but we'll see, you know, what approach they take. But uh, they're another team I've got circled for the trade deadline for sure. Yeah, it is a very complicated, fraught situation for for them. And yeah, it's it, it's a lot to deal with. Uh, the, la- the last topic, less complicated, less fraught, hopefully, is is your exciting news that you and longtime podcast partner Andrew Sharp are starting a new endeavor. Yeah, we've started it, Danny. It's been great. Um, you know, for people who don't know the backstory, you know, Andrew Sharp and I were together at Sports Illustrated for a number of years. You know, we're both writing there. Um, and we podcasted together basically since 2016 on the Open Floor podcast. Now, Sports Illustrated went through some you know, staffing changes, uh, you know, last year and, and, uh, basically cut, uh, cut Andrew loose. 
And, uh, you know, he's been spending the last couple of months just trying to figure out what his next chapter is. And what we've decided to do, because we cultivated an awesome, uh, you know, listenership, uh, you know, with that podcast was basically make a community based podcast that's called Greatest of All Talk. And it's a weekly, uh, you know, show that, that comes out. It's subscription based, you know, so it's basically, like I said, for community members only in, in a way. Uh, but we're trying to, you know, bring the wittiest, funniest, smartest, most intelligent, uh, most analytical basketball takes that we can to the Internet uh, and putting it out through that show. And, uh, you know, we announced the the show on Monday. We were absolutely overwhelmed uh, with the response. I think by in 48 hours, we had already cracked my goal in terms of uh, the six month subscriber number that I was hoping to to reach. So the project is, you know, on very stable footing. It's super exciting to be, uh, you know, doing an independent project. It's really the first time I've done that in my writing career. You know, I've written for SB Nation and CBS Sports and Sports Illustrated, now the Washington Post. Uh, so it's just kind of a, a different hat to put on where you're sort of your own boss. And, you know, Danny, I'm sure you've got experience doing that too uh, over the years. But uh, for us, it's just been very reinvigorating, uh, very validating that so many people have already uh, checked out the show. And I would just, you know, encourage people like if you've listened to me on podcasts before, if you've ever read any of my stuff, I'm really proud of this show, Greatest of All Talk. Uh, and you can subscribe at goat, G-O-A-T dot supportingcast dot F-M. And uh, that's that's really all there is to it. Yeah, and and I can talk a little bit about the the nature of being independent because Dunked On has been that way since the start, and and Real GM thankfully gives me a lot of latitude. I am connected with them, and of course the great people at Podcast One. But it is um, the the idea of for me, and this gets into something that you and I have both dealt with, dealt with at different times in our careers. It gets you out of to go back to a keyword some of the variants that exist within our industry and. I mean, there can be so many things that can happen from a company restructuring to somebody wanting to take a stronger hand in an element of, of what is going on in their business. And being able to exist outside of that world can be – it can be freeing not necessarily from the content side, though there can be some of that as well. It's just freeing mentally to say – if this rises or it falls, it's going to be on us, in the case of you and Andrew, and our listeners. And so these the circumstances which in our business can, you know, just like with an NBA team, there are forces that are outside of your control that can impact how things turn out. To strip some of those away, even if in some cases it makes it harder to succeed, I'm not saying that in yours because you have this amazing listener support, but – Having it go on a more to to a, like basically a smaller number of veto players, a smaller number of factors, I think can be really satisfying emotionally because you just know where things are. No, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, when we were prioritizing what we wanted our next project to look like, creative control was at the very top of the list. You know, we wanted to be able to make sure we were answering to ourselves, and then also um, the idea that it was as simple as possible. You know, we we have a very trusted producer. And, you know, obviously, Andrew and I have known each other for a number of years. So we have a, a really good friendship and a, a strong bond. And that's really all that's necessary to put out a podcast that you really care about, right? You don't need a bunch of layers. And and for us, that was another big benefit of going to the subscription model is we don't have to worry about ad sales and ad reads and all that stuff. And, um, you know, I understand that's completely part of the business. And I, I do that, uh, you know, at other podcast shows as well. Uh, but for us, it just made it a little bit cleaner and simpler uh, for us from the business side, but also from the listener side, too. So it's a completely ad-free podcast, and we're proud of that, too. Um, I should also say, Danny, I'm still doing the Open Floor Show uh, with Sports Illustrated. They've been uh, very uh, helpful to me here over the course of the last couple of months in terms of the transition. 
And I brought on Michael Pina of SB Nation as the co-host of that show, and he's been doing a great job the last couple of weeks. So I know there has been some you know, personnel changes on that show here uh, over the last few months, but I encourage people to check that one out, too, because it's still rolling. And if you're saying, oh, come on, Ben, I don't, I don't want to pay a subscription fee for a show. You know, what are you guys crazy? I understand that uh, perspective. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. Uh, But I would just say, you know, you can still check out Open Floor as well. Absolutely. Well, congratulations on the new endeavor and keep up the great work. And I'm sure we'll talk soon. Danny, thanks so much for uh, letting me come on here and pitch and and, uh, swap basketball ideas with you. It's always a pleasure. Uh, Best of luck to you in 2020. And we'll talk soon. Thanks again to Ben Golliver for taking the time to come on. You can read his writing at The Washington Post. You can listen to him on the Open Floor and Greatest of All Talk podcasts, and you can follow him on Twitter at Ben Golliver, B-E-N-G-O-L-L-I-V-E-R. Love having him on and happy to give a platform to promote a podcasting endeavor, especially an independent one. I I love that, and I love when talented people get more control over their own destiny, which is something I, I got at in the podcast. Hope you really enjoyed it as well. If you want to support this show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player you're choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. I understand if it's not. If you want to be super awesome, you can leave a review both places. You can also spread the word. Word of mouth is particularly great if there's a single episode or the series in general and you think there are people who don't know about it who would like it. Really do appreciate that. And subscribing, downloading every episode, particularly important for a podcast like this one that is weekly but does not come out on a specific day of the week so you can't really get into a schedule or a rhythm with it. And the single most important thing you can do with this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors. That is especially true when we have a new sponsor like we do with Manscaped. You can go to manscaped.com and use the Real GM promo code for 20% off plus free shipping. Importantly, it also tells them that you came from us so you get a discount, help out the show. Hopefully they continue advertising with us. Also, betonline.ag, use that Podcast One promo code for a 50% sign-up bonus, which is fantastic. If you have any feedback on Real GM Radio, good, bad, or indifferent, I welcome it. NBA at gmail.com is the way to express that. Twitter is too ephemeral, and I have a specific thing within my inbox that I read all of those when they come in. I try to respond. I don't promise that it will. The promise is that it will read it because I value your time. As always, Real GM Radio will be back next week. I do not know exactly guest or subject. That will come become clear in the next couple days. I just don't know exactly where I want to go yet. You can also check out my work at The Athletic. Had a bunch of pieces come out this week, actually five, including a new thing, a collaborative piece that I did with Seth Partno, recent Real GM Radio guest, and Sam Vicini, also recent Real GM Radio guest, about the Minnesota Timberwolves. Basically, we turned the types of conversations that we have in other forms into a piece, and it was, it was a lot of fun to do. And then also I did a breakdown of separating the 30 NBA teams into spending power where they'll be in the summer of 2020 as of now. So that was fun. That that was most of it. And then I did a Warrior-specific piece. Also, of course, Dunked On is going strong. We had a five-episode week this week. Lots of good stuff, including the, the completion of our awards and a gamer podcast and a lot of other topics over the course of the week. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.